going to kind of crescendo what we've been talking about the last several weeks uh, as we have been talking about how God wants us to pursue a relationship with him. And I'm so thankful that he desires that for us. Today, we will be participating in the Lord's Supper. So if you did not get elements on your way in today, if you could please just raise your hand. Uh, and our ushers will get those elements to you. And if you are uh, a celiac uh, and uh, sometimes refrain from partaking in the Lord's Supper because of that, we have a gluten-free option available to you at the information desk. So we would ask you, we want everyone uh, that, that's a follower of Jesus to be able to participate in Lord's Supper. So please, uh, that option is there for you, and we are thankful to offer it to you. Now, we won't take these elements right now. Today's service is about our communion uh, with God, our announcement of his death uh, and burial and resurrection. And so today, we're going to take an opportunity to reflect. And so because of that, my part to help you today and to help all of us is to reflect on what Jesus did and specifically talk about the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. On the night of Jesus' death, he gathered his disciples together for the Passover meal. He knew that his suffering was coming. And Luke Chapter 22, verses 7 through 8, Scripture says this. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. The Passover meal was a memorial to remember God's saving grace towards the Israelites as he sent the last plague to the Egyptians. In Exodus 12, 14, you can read about that. Every firstborn son was killed for those, uh, was killed except for those who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and God would pass by those homes. Luke chapter 22 continues, verse 14, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. See, Jesus instituted a new practice with his disciples. This last supper would point towards his death. Jesus told his disciples that he will soon suffer and die to establish a new covenant between God and his people. This covenant will provide forgiveness of sins, a new nature, a relationship with God, and not just information and facts about knowing him, but true intimacy with the Father and delight in obedience to him. As we engage today in a practice that Jesus established with his friends, we're going to take a moment to reflect. And I'm going to ask few questions today to help us in this time. First of all, who should participate in the Lord's Supper? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Paul says this, so anyone who drinks 
excuse me, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body of the Lord. What does it mean to eat the Lord's Supper unworthily? Well, it means to eat it not by faith. To eat the bread by faith means to bask in what Jesus has done for you. To reflect and understand his sacrifice and his death. And it means that you will nourish yourself by all that Christ has made available to you. In verse 28, it says this, That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So today we're going to reflect on our relationship with Jesus. Are you a child of God? Do you belong to him? In a moment, we're going to be silent and we're going to ask God to confirm that you're his child by his spirit. And we ask those of you who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus to wait to take these elements until you do so that you can understand the fullness and the depth and the richness of what we'll experience today. So let's pause and ask God to confirm that we're his children. Verse 29 in 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Are you allowing any sin to linger in your life? Is there any area of your life that you have not connected with God about to confess to him? Are you in conflict with another person that's unresolved? Let's take a moment and ask, the God, ask God to search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Confess anything that God reveals to you. And surrender anything that you have not surrendered to him yet. We want you to take the Lord's Supper with a clean heart. Free to feast on the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's ask God to show us who we are. JC explained the context when Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper from his last supper with his disciples. And so we practice it today in contemporary form, but I want us to keep remembering that upper room where Jesus participated on Thursday evening of Passover week, that memorial supper to the death angel passing over the, the Israelites' homes that had blood painted on the doorposts and the lentils. So we remember that, but we do it in a contemporary fashion. You know, our familiarity is often not a friend to deep feeling. So I want to urge you to ask God to reveal himself to you 
through this remembrance today, this observance that's referred to as the Lord's Supper for the first time by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. So we want to begin by reflecting on the body of Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26 at verse 26, again referring to that Passover meal in the upper room, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread, not unlike this, unleavened bread, and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he told them to take it and eat it, for this is my body. Now Jesus was a spirit from eternity past, part of the Godhead along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So why did he become a human being with a physical body subject to all of our Physical human frailties, illnesses. Hebrews 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Since the Spirit cannot die, God sent His Son in human form so that He could live an obedient human life and die a sacrificial death as our substitute. To be qualified as a substitute, Jesus had to identify fully with us which meant he had to experience life's pains, sorrows, disappointments, and temptations. But remain faithful, obedient, sinless. Hebrews 4.15 says, This high priest of ours, which is a reference to Jesus, understands our weaknesses. For he faced the same testings that we do yet did not sin now the truth is that Jesus was tempted far beyond what any of us have endured because he never sinned there's a place at which we seem to fall depending on how much duress or how much how strong the temptation how tantalizing the enticement but Jesus experienced the full force of Satan's temptation and never submitted. The body of Jesus hungered and thirsted. It shivered in winter's cold, like this morning. It sweated in summer's heat, like yesterday. And he grew tired, exhausted from labor. Following his arrest, mere hours after the conclusion of the Passover meal, he was beaten, slapped, his head lacerated with a crown of thorns and imprisoned. In my time in Israel, we, we saw the place where 
prisoners were kept and they were actually lowered into a dungeon from above. At Calvary, during his execution, his actual crucifixion, he had spikes driven through his wrists and his feet. You say, well, I, th- I thought it was through his palms. The, pa- the, the palms aren't strong enough to support the weight of a man. Archaeology discovers that the spikes were driven actually through the wrist, and the Greek word translated hand includes the lower part of the forearm, the wrist. A spear was thrust into his side and water and blood poured out onto the ground. Throughout Jesus' life and death, he never sinned. For if he had, he couldn't have been our substitute. He couldn't have taken our place. And the punishment that he received, he would have been due for his own sins. Not ours. You see, the Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus' human body was beaten, bloodied, torn, whipped, abused, broken, and sacrificed for you. writes for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night that he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread he gave thanks to God for it he broke it into pieces and he said this is my body which is broken or given for you Who can participate? J.C. told you, we have to receive it worthily, but that worth is not from ourselves. That worth is that by faith we've trusted in the death of Christ. Our sins have been washed away. And we're qualified to participate in communion. It's an open communion in our church. So it doesn't matter your denominational background. Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Orthodox. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been born again by the Spirit, then I speak to you what Jesus said to his disciples. Do this and remember of me. So eat the body of Christ broken for you. Next, let's consider the blood of Jesus. At the Passover, before Jesus' arrest, again back from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew 26, at verse 26, he took a cup of wine. You know, the Passover meal actually had four cups of wine. And it's believed that this cup represented redemption. It was the third cup. So he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he gave it to them. And he said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood which confirms the new covenant. 
between God and his people. No longer a covenant of rule keeping and regulations. No longer compliance through obeying the law. The new covenant is based on the blood of Jesus being poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Are you one of those many? You know, we may grasp the necessity of Jesus' death, but, but why does the Scripture refer explicitly to the blood of Jesus in so many places throughout the Gospels and the New Testament? Well, there's an answer back in the Old Testament from one of the books of law, Leviticus. And at Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord, or making atonement for you to cover your sins. And it is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. The death of an animal ransomed the life of the offerer from the deserved punishment and, or judgment by God. Hebrews 9.22 says this, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. And that reference there in Hebrews 9 at verse 23 is referring to all of the articles or the implements that were used in temple worship. They all were washed in blood, purified so they could be used in the worship of God. And the text says that, that those items that were found in the temple were copies of heavenly things. And the passage goes on and says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This purification by blood didn't require a drop or two. It required the death of the sacrifice. The, the pouring out of the animal's blood, which ended the animal's life. But the blood of Old Testament animal sacrifices was not sufficient to cleanse people from sin for all time. So these sacrifices were repeated year after year. Hebrews 9 at verse 13 says, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. By the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The shedding of Jesus' blood was sufficient to cleanse us from all of our sins for all times. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us 
while we were still sinners. And since we'd been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. When the soldier's spear pierced Jesus' side and caused blood and water to spill from His side, All of our sins permanently, fully, completely by faith. You see, when God looks at you, He doesn't see your misdeeds, He doesn't see your mistakes, He can't spot the sins. By faith, when God looks at you through the blood of Christ, He sees a pure man. He sees a holy woman. Free of stain, free of spot, free of blot, free of sin. Sinless. Holy. Pure. In his eyes. There can be no condemnation for us after we die. Because by faith in Jesus' sacrifice of his blood. Nothing remains to be punished for. The blood of Jesus is your victory over sin and death. That you are benefited by merely by believing. 1 Corinthians 11, again, Paul writing at verse 25. In the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Now drink the blood of Jesus that cleanses you of sin. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 said, When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? That's why it's communion. It's something we hold in common. The death of Christ is for each one of us. He died once and invites us all to participate in that. And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf, Showing we are one body. We're all different. Thankfully in this church is we, we have people of different ages, different racial backgrounds. Come from different parts of the country and different parts of the world. But we make up one body. 
We are the body of Christ. His body is gone. He left us to represent him in this world, in this community, in this culture. We are the church. Romans 12, 5 says, and so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. But we all belong to each other. My faith is my own. No. We share it. My life is my own. No. My life belongs to you. Your life belongs to me. My behavior is my own. Oh, no, no. My behavior affects you. Your behavior affects me. As Jesus' body, we belong to each other. As Jesus' body, we've learned over the last nine weeks that we should be concerned about what God wants for each of us. We used a tree. It's in your message guide. You can take it out. And that tree displays essentials of spiritual life. It can be called a a picture of Christian discipleship. Or a picture of spiritual formation. It's another word. And God wants for each of us to pursue a relationship with Jesus by faith. To experience transformed life. There are three practices that we dealt with that help us pursue a relationship with Jesus. That that causes us to grow spiritually, to mature, to become more like Him. And those practices are communicating with God through prayer, through fasting, through times of solitude and silence. Connecting with other Christians in friendships of of two or more in small groups. As well as worshiping in a large congregation. Our next series will deal with this book, The Life of Jesus. This is a, a harmony of the Gospels. We're going to spend a year learning about Jesus. This is a Brookwood version. It only costs $5. I'm asking you to buy one. I'm not asking women to buy one for their husbands. I'm asking husbands to get their own. I don't care whose money. But I'm asking you humbly. Men, don't be complacent. Take a step forward in your spiritual growth. This book contains readings for every day. Join a small group to discuss what you're learning. And we will spend an entire year learning about the life of Jesus. We will begin it in December. We'll take a time, some time off to sign up for small groups. And we'll come back again in January and we'll follow this for an entire year. I'm asking you, will you participate? Let me see some hands if you'll participate. And husbands who will get their own copy. Let me see those hands. I know what, y'all know what happens. Oh, I'll, I'll use hers. 
which means you will not even ever know where it is. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you humbly, step with us. Because remember, we belong to each other. And if I grow, you benefit. And if you grow, I benefit. And our community benefits from all of us growing in Jesus Christ. The third evidence, or the third practice, is caring for others. And those three practices being conducted in an ongoing way in our lives result in a transformed life. And a transformed life is not without evidence. There are at least three significant evidences of a transformed life. And they are loving God, loving people, living like Jesus. Paul closes off this passage about the Lord's Supper in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. And he says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Your life is an announcement. What message are you communicating with your words, with your actions?